All right. It has occurred to me, and this is mainly in my discussions with people in private, in the public arena primarily, but not exclusively, how many people are truly fearful about the future? So I want to bring to you this message here, how to overcome the fear of the future. And I'll explain that. But if you have your Bible, please open it to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to begin at verse 25. Again, I'm speaking to you about how to overcome the fear of the future. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, it says this. Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things, of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. During the prayer meeting, I mentioned something which is related to this text. Well, let me say it this way. The sincere Christian will often not be found violating major principles and laws and commandments of God. They're not going to commit adultery. They're not going to steal. They're not going to lie under oath, bear false witness. They're not going to take the Lord's name in vain, and so on. But what we find on examination is all these little principles being violated. For example, Jesus here says, don't take any thought for tomorrow. And before I tell you what he is saying, let me tell you what he's not saying. This word thought is taken from a Greek word, rimna, which means anxiety, anxious thought. And I brought this text to you because this is what I'm hearing from so many, many people. On an altruistic level, meaning unselfish level, people are saying, older people are saying, what's going to become of my children? What's going to become of my grandchildren? This is my concern as well. But if I take that too far, I'm going to be found in violation of what Jesus said not to do. Take no... Now let me translate it for you. Let me even make it a looser definition. Have no anxiety about tomorrow. Don't be thinking in anxious terms about what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to become of my kids? What's going to become of the grandkids? What's going to become of my life? What's going to become of my health? Those things are all future. 
And what I'm speaking to you about is how to overcome fear of the future, what could happen, what may happen. Let me also add, the fact is, so many of the things that we worry about never come to pass. But we waste this day thinking about the next day because we're anxious. So you say, I don't violate God, but I say maybe not on the major scale, but on the minor scale. And this is really what life is all about. It's not about major events. You don't go to weddings every day, or for that matter, funerals. But you live from day to day in the thought life. And this is the tendency of average individuals to think in these terms. And then for Christian people to do the exact same thing. Now, let me hasten to say, again, what Jesus is not saying here is that don't make any goals. and Don't make any plans. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't be anxious about what's coming. But one thing that I want you to understand, if nothing else sinks in, I hope it does, but if nothing else sinks in, here is what I want you to hear today. What is going to happen in the history of mankind and our planet and solar system and so forth, all of which are in the scriptures, is already predestined. Predestination does not mean fatalism. Predestination does not mean pessimism. And predestination does not mean passivity. For instance, I've heard it said, well, it's all going to happen the way God wants it to happen anyway. Or if they're not talking about God, they'll say, well, do you believe in destiny? And I would often say, well, it depends on what you mean by destiny. Well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. That's fatalism and a good measure of passivity. Not much I can do. And so people do nothing. You see, if we misunderstand what Jesus is saying here along one line, that's like, it's all going to happen, not much I can do, then you won't do what other things Jesus has said to do. We'll get to this in just a moment, but Jesus told every single believer, occupy till I come. And I'll explain that to you in just a moment, what it means, but it doesn't mean this is occupy a seat or take up this much space in the world, you know, just exist. It's predetermined, but for the Christian, in our understanding of eschatology, and what the Bible says is God said from the very beginning when man sinned, God had a plan. And he's going to bring that plan to culmination, which we read here, and particularly in the book of the Revelation. And it will come to pass. And so there's an overarching, let's call it a theme for a moment. There's an over, well, let's call it a plan. There's an overarching plan of God who declares to us in the scriptures, this is how it's going to end. Another thing I'd like to bring to you is the fact that, we just heard this a moment ago, in the study of eschatology, the end times, eschatos, last things, we have a tendency to dwell on this portion of the end times, the rise of an antichrist and conflict in the Middle East and Israel and all these things. But if you confine your thinking to that one thing, well, I just wrote this in my dissertation that I'm doing now, that we in this field of eschatology are not to be looking for ghosts behind drapes all the time, conspiracy theories. I read many years ago, I'm going back a long time ago too, when it was originally written, Americans particularly love a conspiracy theory as an explanation for whatever they want. Are there conspiracies? Yeah, I believe so, yes. Is everything a conspiracy? Mm -hmm. Many things you could just chalk up to sinfulness Man's lack of understanding of God and his scriptures and the fact that we are working against satanic powers, they're working against us, and other things. Not everything is the work of groups of people highly connected all over the world, and I'm not saying that some of those don't exist. 
But I am saying that if you keep concentrating on that, you're not likely to be a happy person. And you know why? Because you forget that the judgment that was upon Egypt was deliverance for Israel. What was bad for Egypt, which is a type of the world for us, was actually good news for Israel. After over 400 years of being slaves, these signs of judgment on Egypt meant they would finally be delivered. So imagine if we just switch our attention to the last days. Obviously, eternity covers the subject of eschatology and started saying, hey, you know what? The hour is getting late. Kingdom's going to begin pretty soon. A slight, which may seem slight to you, it's not actually slight. That slight variation of thinking will turn your whole attitude into a different frame of mind. I just told you a moment ago, I'm not discouraged. Tempted to be discouraged? Sure. Moments of discouragement? Absolutely. I just won't permit myself to stay there. And why? Because the kingdom's coming. Just over the hilltop. What do we have? Mansion. I've got a mansion. Where is it? Just over the hilltop. Going to take a bit of exertion to get from here to the top of that hill and on the other side, but that's a small part of, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, if you've read it. A small part. So I'm, number one, saying to you that the plan of God, which we have in the book here, is already spelled out. This is how it's going to go. Let me just go over for a moment to a subject that occupies a lot of my time is apostasy. We've been seeing an apostasy, or uh, which I told you the word apostasy can be applied to a divorce. A divorce from God in the scriptures. But that's been going on not only before you were born, but before your parents were born, before their parents were born, all the way back to the beginning of the church. There was a departure from the teachings of Christ, the apostles, and the prophets. Right from the beginning. And it's been ongoing for 2,000 years. Now it's culminating. In other words, it's getting worse. And if we concentrate on that, then we can't do as I suggested. We can't count our blessings. We can't be grateful for what we do have because we're always accenting what we don't have. The mind is a powerful, powerful thing. Nobody should debate that. And I think it was Marcus Aurelius who said, a man's life are what his thoughts make of it. There's truth to that. By the way, there's truth in a lot of philosophical statements that are not necessarily biblical, but during all the reading that I've done over the years, when there's something, an imposing truth made with uh, scientific studies and so forth, research, I always find a biblical principle laying right there that Jesus said it long before anybody else could explain it scientifically. What happens to your blood pressure and your hormones and so on when you're worried and stressed and all of that? Take no thought for the morrow. But perhaps because it's so simple, we lose sight of it because it's not explained in scientific terms. In any case, a simple turning of the mind from, well, these are dark days, and Jesus said they would be, to saying, but let not your heart be troubled. He said that as well. And saying, because your redemption is getting very, very close. That whole thing will change your mindset. Your point of view will be actually higher and better and more productive and healthier. Let me finish on apostasy for just a moment. Now, in my, let me call it a business. It's not a business, but let me just say in my trade, it can be very disheartening to find people who were once stalwart in the pulpit to now be not only dressed down physically, which is not a biblical matter, but they're dressing down intellectually and spiritually, or as we have heard the term, the operative term, dumbing it down, or preachers saying, hey, I'm just like you. Now, if you joined the service, and I know some of you have served, and you stepped off the bus, 
and your drill instructor the first time you meet him says, I'm just like you. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll find out as we go along. Will that boost your confidence? Or were you not put into a state of complete panic when the drill instructor was barking orders at you as soon as you got off the bus? Move, mister. Get on those, you know, and this type of thing. Well, in an odd way, that actually inspires confidence. Because what people look for more than teaching, believe it or not, is leadership. You could try to teach people all day long, all day long, all day long, and just say, look at, look at, go, move it, now. And there you are, you're at peace. The military is one example, there's others I could use, where you're told when to get up, what time to get up, how to get up, make your bed, this is when you're eating. And it kind of provides a security, in this sense, in the fact that you don't have to think. Somebody's thinking for you. That's called leadership, at least at one level. Out here in civilian world, you have to make up your own time schedule. And let me say this to you before I forget. I just said this to someone this morning. If you don't take control of your life, it's a guarantee that somebody else is going to. That's why it's important for us not to skip. This is not a little principle, but I'll use that phrase. It's important for us not to skip these principles. Take no anxious thought. That's what it means. Take no anxious thought. What are we going to eat? What are we going to We're just coming out of the other end of this pandemic. I bet some of you who are intelligent are saying, what will the next one be like? Why? It's written in the scriptures. So now we're already preparing. Well, (laughs) maybe you're not, and I'm not really either, but I got to think ahead as a leader, but I'm not anxious about it. I'm not anxious about it. Remember the millennium bug? When computers worldwide were going to shut down, elevators were going to stop, buses, everything that's with a computer... These are books I still have them on my shelf. I already told you what I did, so I won't go through that story again. But it provides for us an example. So everybody's wringing their hands for a prophecy, not necessarily found in the scriptures, that never came to pass. Call it a year of wringing the hands. I remember in the church, somebody getting up and giving a little speech about what we were planning to do as a church, because I didn't know if these computer experts were right or not. I didn't know. So, you know, you stock up on food and water and some basics. But it never came to pass. And think of the wasted, let's call it a year, a wasted year thinking about a prophecy coming not from the book, but coming from people who are supposed to be experts in the book, which basically all it did is put people in a state of anxiety. And Jesus is saying, these are the scriptures, this is how I reason. I say, wait a minute, he said, take no thought for tomorrow. Again, not planning. We had the tuna fish, we had this thing, we had the generator, we had all these things, kerosene things, just in case it was correct. But I said to myself, why isn't God giving me a witness? He always did in the past, and he has since. Well, on reflection, the reason was is that it wasn't going to happen. And we were stuck with 400 million cans of tuna fish <laughs> and the water, you know, and what to do with that. And the generator still sits down. I mean, it's a good idea to have one if you live in any area where the electricity could go down. But the point, again, is that Jesus said, hey, don't take any anxious thought about tomorrow. If you've read the scripture with me, he says, you know, tomorrow is going to have its own concerns. And you're already in tomorrow. You haven't even got through today. All of these scriptures that we read from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, boils down to that phrase that we've heard, seldom actually apply it, one day at a time. Let me give you an example. I trained some years ago with a um, man who was on a bead towards the Olympics, not only for weightlifting, but he was an expert in a shot put. He was an expert in technique and form, and he was a friend of mine. Actually, I was helping him out with some things, so... He was helping me out and teaching me some things about proper form and weight training. 
We were in a gym, which was a private gym at the time, and he said, okay, we're going to do these hyperextensions. And so we're doing that. And while I'm doing them, I said, so what do we do next? I said, no, we're going to go over here and do a bench press. I'm doing the bench press, got to finish it. So what are we going to do next? All right, well, then we're going to go over here. After a while, maybe my third or fourth interrogative along those lines, he got frustrated. He says, would you stop asking me what we're going to do next and concentrate on what you're doing now? You know, to this day, and that's going back a long time ago, I never forget that principle. Concentrate on what you're doing now instead of saying, and then what do we do after this? And then what do we do after this? You're not even focusing on what you're doing now. And so the operative, again, the operative phrase today in books being written by people who actually have some good things to say, not necessarily the Christian, like live in the moment. And you know, I really try to do that, especially like I look at my grandchildren now, and then that gets me to go over to when my children were little and how fast that time went. If you're not focused on the moment, you're already thinking about tomorrow, the next week, next month, next year in an anxious way, not a goal planning way, in an anxious way, you lost the moment. You will overcome a fear of the future if you would just simply apply what Jesus said to do. Now, let me, I never finished on the apostasy. In my business, this is of great concern. But you know how I reason with myself? A, I'm powerless over what people do. I can, well, not necessarily totally powerless. I can persuade from the scriptures as I do with you. I can pray. I can give exhortation. But how many examples I can give to you, people I've talked to again and again and again and again that don't change, that I have to say, this is sucking the life out of me. As a matter of fact, let me share this with you as well. We read, I say we, I've read many books on time management, and someone has come up with the idea, which I think is very valid, that we shouldn't be trying to manage time, but manage our energy. I think that's very wise because we all have so many hours of a day, but if not properly planned, you're wasting energy, of which we do not have, other than when you factor in God, we do not have inexhaustible energy any more than your gas tank has no end to the gas. So you go out on the throughway here, and you get in your nice car, and boom, you step on the gas. And you're going in a linear fashion. Let's say you're heading west towards Buffalo. You're doing the speed limit, 60, and in your mind, you're saying, I could do this forever. I can go right from here through Buffalo, through the Western Spur, into Pennsylvania, into Ohio. I can keep on going. I don't have to go to a gas station. So that sounds unreasonable, and we know better. But when it comes to our physical energy, we don't know any better. We go in a linear fashion, constantly going, 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 and never consider that you have limited amounts of energy. And... That's why God created something called sleep. (laughs) And more importantly, he created something called the Sabbath. I wish, Pastor, I had time to go to church. I hear this. I say to you, you just don't make the time. Someone says, I wish. And this happened just yesterday. A young guy, nice kid. He gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning to go to work doing blacktop. If you've ever done that work, anybody ever done that work? I have. It takes a bit of energy. And so he says to me, he says, you know, I just wish I had time to work out. I said, well, you do, but you either have to get up even a little bit earlier or just do it as first thing when you get home from work. It's not a question of not having the time. It's a question of not making the time. And you and I don't have inexhaustible amounts of energy. So God created the Sabbath, which some people say, I'm so busy. This operative phrase, again, that we use in America is 24-7 for me. That's the same as stepping on the gas here at Amsterdam. And just, you're traveling to, let's say, San Diego. And you're not going to stop at the gas station because you just don't have to. Something's going to give out. Well, a lot of things are going to give out. 
It's curious that we think in terms of our emotional energy in the same type of irrational fashion. I've met people who talk almost like they're proud that they're burnt out. What's so inspiring about a life that's burnt out? Other than saying, how did you burn out so I don't have to? That's the only inspiration I could find. Some people are proud that they live in tired. I'm tired all the time. People talk like they're proud of that. Wouldn't it be much better to be at top productivity all the time? Because you take time out to rest. You take time out to sleep. You take time out for God's day and you keep it holy because he put it there for us, not for him. God is fine. Did you know that? Believe me, he's doing fine. He's never been sick and there's no threat of him ever being sick. He evidently doesn't need to sleep. Well, he rested on the Sabbath day. But, you know, God doesn't have the problems. We do. So God says, do this, and we don't. And God says, do this, and we don't. And then we're clueless as to what the problem is. Take no thought, anxious thought, for the morrow. Yes, you have goals, and yes, you have plans, but you can't go at it in a linear fashion 100%, 100% of the time. Can't do it. So you have to put in these common sense, call them micro goals. This is the time I take a nap every day. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed to tell you that. I've been doing it since high school. I've talked to other men, the high productivity type of guys, or at least they think they are, and they tell me this. I wish I could take a nap. I said, you could. No, I can't. Yes, you could. No, you can't. Okay, fine. Then don't take a nap. <laughs> but I got to take a break because I don't have an exhaustible energy, mental, physical, otherwise. I got to take a break. I take sometimes periodic breaks, little breaks, 10 minutes or so, because your energy is not inexhaustible. And this will create more anxiety and more fear of the future. It's like a death spiral. Let me say something else. If you have a habit, and some of you do, of being chronically negative, that's not a badge of honor. The Bible says that the people that do know their God will be strong and do exploits. Well, in the field of physiologies, such as working out, principles have been known forever, back into the ancient times. Recovery time, a need to rest the body. Same with the mind. Time to rest the mind, time to get away from it, time to do something abstract, something that's a relief, something that's actually refreshing and possibly fun that helps you. We fear the future for one primary purpose. We don't do what God said to do. Today, as people say, well, you know, I won't be in church services because, and then uh, they're flipping open bottles of beer and liquor and whatever else, and they're saying that they're relaxing don't know much about physiology or psychology because what you're actually doing is compounding the problem because God said on my day keep it holy and keep it as a day of rest and when we don't then all of a sudden we have this strange disease Epstein-Barr whoever Epstein and Barr were they found out that there's this so and they go through the physiology and psychology of chronic fatigue syndrome and God said once a week stop remember me hear my commandments pray which, by the way, if you ever want to find out what's the least attended meeting of any church, it's the prayer meeting. Because after all, what are we going to do? Nothing, right? So let me just wait till whatever, the band strikes up, or the preacher. And you can see the lack of confidence, which the Bible calls unbelief, in the prayer life. O thou that hearest prayer, the one I gave to you earlier. O thou that hearest prayer. O thou that hearest prayer. Unto thee shall all flesh come. For the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto their cry. Call unto me, and I will show you great and mighty things which thou knowest of. All these are prayer. Jesus' whole life is marked by prayer and the prophets and the apostles and so on. 
And we say, ah, what's going on? 1030 church, the prayer night. So we just show up later. For what? Look at it's not doing anybody any good. And I'll say it's not doing you any good to hear me speak or anybody speak or your favorite preacher speak if you're not going to do it. It's no profit at all. You're just stuffing your head with knowledge, even though they're Bible verses, and then wondering, why do I get this problem? You have the problem because of a lack of obedience to what God said to do. And as long as we're going to continue that way, you can expect to burn out, live with chronic fatigue. It's a circling of the drain. You need to say, I'm not going in that direction. Your friends are? Well, there's not a whole lot you could do but to pray, maybe exhort, but don't go. Don't go. I told you this story bears repeating at this point, I think, a pastor, a friend of mine at the time, I haven't seen him in a long time. In order to show love to his congregation, he explained to his congregation, I love you guys so much, I'm available 24-7. Call me anytime. Wasn't that far down the road, he was in adultery. Well, I guess there's a lot of reasons for that, but when the mind is so tired, the body is so tired, you know what happens? You're more susceptible to temptation. When you're sharp and resilient and strong, you're less... I'm not saying the two are necessarily equated, but I'll make the one point. No one is available 24-7 except one person. Can you guess who it is? It's God. And guess what? You're not him. So if that's you, I'm here 24-7. Can I say this politely even though it may anger you? You're foolish. I wanted to make it stronger, but I decided to lighten it up. You think people admire you because you're foolish enough to say 24-7, that's me. You are the man on the th- or the woman. You're the person on the throne. You go, and somebody says, when are you going to get gas? I don't, get, I don't need gas. Other people need gas. I don't need gas. You need gas. And you've got to stop to get it and refuel the mind, the spirit, the body. My mom and I were sitting on a deck a few days ago, and I brought this to you before, and I just, I propose it. Whatever happened to whittling? A little piece of stick and a pen knife. You can see it on, like, the Andy Griffin show. Now, see, people who whittle now are useless sloths useless human beings that you could be doing this, 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 like we are. Yeah, and I could be nervous and jerky like you too. <laughs> now, what is the purpose of whittling, unless you're Michelangelo, what is the purpose of just, you know, oh, relaxing? True story, and my mom knows this to be true. We used to go to Freehold, New Jersey, back when it was more farmland than it industrialized as it is now. My grandfather worked, as you know, in the carpet mills. He was a loom fixer and he was a foreman. When the carpet mills moved over and my grandparents had these friends and they moved to Freehold, New Jersey or lived in Freehold, New Jersey and so on and so forth. That's how we got to go there. There were Sunday trips. I can still remember walking through the farm. Remember, I was raised in the city and uh, the kid, you know, the young kid in the family, let's go out in the back, you know, and picking strawberries. You know, these are such great memories, such great memories for me. Now, the older man said to my dad one time, listen, he said, come on, we'll go out and sit on the front porch and watch the cars go by. Now, in this culture, that's like, what? <laughs> what an idiot. Now, see, these people years ago knew how to relax. You're working on a farm. It was a fairly good-sized farm. And whatever else they had going on, remember, he worked in the carpet mills, too, so I don't know how it all worked out. But he knew on and it was Sunday. He knew on a Sunday how to kind of whittle, to sit on the porch, and you hear the rocking chair going, eh, eh. what are you doing? I'm watching the cars go by. So right away, you say, psychosis, this man, we got to lock him up. We got to get him drugged up so we can get this guy working 24-7 all day, all day. There's things to do, people to meet, place to go. Let's go, 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 go. No, not him. Of course, he's long gone. You know what? I miss those days. I really do. 
Sometimes my dad would get in the car and we'd just go for a ride in the country, which means like it's 200 miles from here. But for us, that was the country. You know, what became of those days? The blue laws and the keeping of the Sabbath on the Sunday, where everything was shut down, so you didn't have an option. Those days are gone. But you as an individual can observe it. You can go against the time. And let me say this again. If you don't take control of your life, it's an absolute guarantee somebody else will. And what's worse than that, it could be a gang of people. Then you're going to say to Pastor Ray, can you pray for me, you know, that I get um, rid of these palpitations in my chest? And I'm going to say to you, well, the way you live, it's not likely that the palpitations are going to go away because you're always at that high level of, and your tank is getting low. Oh, it's empty. And, you know, it's not good. Number one, how to overcome your fear of the future. Well, I could put in there, you could sit on the porch and watch the cars go by. May not be a bad idea. But there's an overarching principle in the scriptures that God says, this is how it began. We mark time over here somewhere and say, this is how it's going now, and this is how it's going to end. And we accept that. Underneath that overarching principle, we occupy till he comes. Listen to this. For which cause we faint not, though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. I always like this phrasing by the Apostle Paul, for our light affliction. This is a man who's been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, in prison, out of prison, in prison, tremendous difficulties, and he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while, here it is, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. But let me suggest to you, it's very difficult to look at the things that are not seen when you're spending all your time looking at the things that are seen. I told you last week I began a little detox program which is not from drugs, alcohol, or any of the other major addictions, but I can only put up with so much stimulation in my head. And so I decided to do some detox from social media. Now, I'm still on. I post my devotions. This is being broadcast. A few things, but the constant stimulation of all these different things that are on the social media, I said, I, I'm taking a break. I don't know for how long, but I'm taking a break. Also, I told you I decided to give up my little space of time. It's about an hour and a half at each night to watch television from DVDs that I already know what's on them because I don't want to be surprised by Hollywood and everybody else with these oops because then i got to turn it off and I just wasted whatever. So now, now listen to me. So, Pastor, what do you do for those last... Because I always have a pre-sleep routine. I have a routine to help me to sleep. I mean, and I don't want you to raise your hand... I know it's going to be a few of you. I'm constantly meeting people saying, I just have such a difficult time sleeping. Well, you're overstimulated. And so what I do is something I did when I was a little kid. You know what that is? I play solitaire. Have you ever heard of it? <laughs> My grandfather taught me that when I was just a little kid. Except I do it on the phone instead of, I don't have a deck of cards. But instead of doing that, it's just there, and I challenge myself and see how quickly can I get things going and get my brain moving. You'd be surprised as the remote sits over here. Actually, I put it inside the drawer. So I may play chess by myself, or I play solitaire. I use mind games, you know, the kind that actually work your brain and stuff like that. And I'm finding it to be much more productive than constantly barrage of media, constant barrage of... And here's my thought, and here's my suggestion to you. 
Get away from the media. Have enough media to know what's going on in the world. Now, if you're an avid paper reader and that's going to be your thing, okay, not me. I read the headline, I read the short version of the story, got the gist, I move on. I know what's going on in the world. I honestly do. But I'm not going to spend hours and hours and hours getting myself aggravated. Blood pressure is going up. My body producing chemicals which were made for a fight or a flight, but I don't flee. Made for a fight, and now as they build up week after week, month after month, and this is proven medically and scientifically, <clears throat> it has a toxicity that it produces in your body. And now you're starting to get sick, and you don't know why. But the reason why is that we're in violation of these principles of Scripture. Get people to sit still. People are still amazed. Maybe if you go out, if I go out and say, well, you know, uh, why don't you come to church? Okay, what time does it start? I says, well, we're in prayer at a quarter to ten, but ten o'clock, what time do you get finished? Twelve, twelve, fifteen, and their eyes bug out. <laughs> what do you do? I said, well, come on and find out. <laughs> We've got this and that and, you know, communion and singing and prayer, and what do they want? Now, here I'm, I'm going out on a limb a little bit, but I'm telling you the truth because preachers are still accommodating people who are already nervous and worried and unhappy and depressed and saying, we'll just give you a short short little injection. Deep. So you need this much. I guess vaccine is a bad subject to bring up, huh? Um, you need this much uh, antibiotic. And I just said, I just want a little bit, a tiny bit. A man come to the church in Manhattan and um, the worker there, there's a homeless shelter, there's a friend of mine, says to this man, have you come to meet Jesus? He said, I want a little bit of Jesus, a little bit. A little bit of Jesus. And so churches are now saying, we're going to give you a little bit of the Bible, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. One vitamin C capsule, when the guy's got double pneumonia, and you're going to get it like every four months. Just a little bit of Jesus, a little bit. What can you learn in a little bit of time, a little bit of time? If you, any of you here are an expert at anything, anything, it took you years to learn your trade, and you have to spend time. And to know God, you're going to go, a little bit of God, give me, you know. I will not be, I will not be the one physician that says, Hey, you're anxious. I'm going to make you even more anxious. Come in, out, the door. What was the diagnosis? Sometimes I've left doctor's offices. I'm telling you the truth. I don't know what he was talking about. But doc, it's my stomach. Being shuffled out. I don't know what he was talking about. And I don't think he heard me. Doc, my stomach hurts. Well, let's check your heart. Look, my stomach hurts. Check out my stomach. People aren't even listening. Experts aren't listening. Okay, so yeah, you're talking on the phone, all this stuff, all this stimulation. I'm finding now that this whole process, which I have assigned it to myself, is just slowing my brain down so that I could process good thoughts and make them more productive. You know, I'm not saying you will do this, but I read somewhere years ago, they say if you go camping, I mean like camping, that means not with your phone, trying to sit down to eat. This is not watching the cars go by. This is not whittling. And I have it on good authority in books that I've read from experts that social media was designed to be addictive. Now you can find people my age, just senior citizen. You can't even talk. You can't even talk. We are in a place where we are in desperate need to slow down. And let me say this for the third time. If you don't take control of your life, mark my words, it's an absolute guarantee somebody else will. 
even if they're located halfway across the globe, producing more and more programs for you to get involved in. Now, I'm on my phone a lot, and I get a report every week how much I'm on my phone, but I look through the list and say, well, this was justified, this was justified, this was justified, and so on. It's a good thing. We're living in an age where we have both opportunity to succeed in Christ or to fail. And it's all right before us right now. We cannot be looking at the things that are not seen, eternity, while we're occupied with the things that are seen. Don't answer me on this one. Are you frustrated with the federal government? And we're living in New York State here, for those of you watching on television. Are you frustrated with the state government? Well, I got a newsflash for you. Boop, 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 boop. It's not going to change much. Why? Because we're fulfilling the plan of God. Now, God didn't plan evil. He just said, through the evil, this is what I'm going to do. That's not accepting it as fatalism, pessimism, or um, passivity. We are to work. In fact, let me just give this to you now. In Luke chapter 19, verse 13, Jesus said, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. The overarching plan, God is going to end the world this way, begin eternity this way, everything in between, the application for you and I to say, mm, nothing I can do. No, no, no. Now he says, with this in mind, occupy. Well, what does that mean? The word occupy, let me give you the actual generic definition. And it's an interesting word, pragmatomai, where we get our English word pragmatic. Pragmatomai, or tuomai, means to be occupied in anything, to carry on the business, to carry on the business of a banker or a trader, and that's the best definition. Jesus said, now, while this plan is going through, I want you to do this, and you be doing this, you, I need you over here. You. So we're not fatalists, determinists, pessimists, or not passive, say, the great apostasy is here. It's going to happen. See you later. Turn out the lights. But it won't be here. Not going to be here. Because we are called to be at work while all this is going on. The Lord's work, which we got to get our own lives together too, as far as you know, the house and the home and whatever. But we are to be at work at the Lord's work using his gifts, not my gifts and talents, his gifts and talents for his purpose and his kingdom. And let me tell you something, and I mean this in all sobriety, it's not going to be a happy day if you go stand before the Lord and he says, what did you do with the gifts and talents I gave you? He said, it was predetermined. He said, no, no, no. Yes, it was predetermined how the outcome would be, but I predetermined you to occupy, to be doing my business. I mean, we see this on more than one occasion, Jesus speaking about this. So you see how this is balancing out? While we say, hey, look, at, you're getting frustrated at the media? You know the definition of insanity? You're doing the same thing, getting the same results, and saying, let's try it again. Oh, I got a headache. Try it again. Try it again. I believe the media has become addictive. Waiting for the next installment that can make me even more angry than I was yesterday. Then you go to your doctor. Blood pressure's going up. I don't know what's happening. What's happening? You're being fed constant toxicity. And listen, the media, whatever your opinion of them is, my opinion is this. I don't believe even half of what they're saying. And not necessarily because they're always lying, though they do lie from time to time. It's because when you have this much information and you have to write an article before the paper goes out, you got to put down what you have. And then you make a retraction on page 38 that's this big that nobody gets to see. They say, oops, we were wrong. Here's the latest scoop. And you spent the whole afternoon saying, ah, da, 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 da. and God says, Jesus said, pray 
Pray. Here's one for you that I have to repeat to myself a lot. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That's good for them, but it's actually more good for you. And be separate and come out from among them. Uh, and again, I'm not advocating passivity. I'm not advocating not knowing what's going on. I'm very much up to speed. I'm just not going to ruin my stomach, ruin my heart, ruin my mind, ruin my day, ruin every relationship because I'm constantly habitually angry, frustrated. The overarching plan of God is this. He setteth up one and casteth down another. That God is even involved all over the world with who's going to be in leadership, saying him in that case, him in that case, her in that case. Now the people turn in righteousness. He turns it upside down and raises it up. You don't get any place by focusing on this. Well, you do get some place. You know, it's not a good place. You want to be in a place of peace. You want to be able to not fear the future. I've heard young people say, I should have never had children. And my answer with regard to the times we live in, and my answer to that is that, no, don't look at it that way. God is always with his people. He always has been. He always will be. And he's with us now. And he'll strengthen his people now. He will strengthen you now. But here's the condition. You must comply. You must do what he said to do. In here, it's an internal dynamic. Take no anxious thought for the morrow. Just that alone makes me nervous. My dog makes me nervous. What? What's going on? Every little thing. Huh? Hey. I'm like, buddy, calm down. And my heart's palpitating. He's like, everything, everything good? And then you throw a lot of people around you like that, and it's like piranha, and you're the chum. We have to be smart enough to walk this way in confidence and in strength to know that in the end, we will overcome. For we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are more than conquerors through him. Let me finish with this. You have to grow faith in this book. And faith is more than just a meme or a plaque on the wall that you got from the Christian bookstore. They're nice and they're good. I'm not against them. I make memes all the time. Make my own. But it's more than that. So how do you actually develop faith? Well, let me just start with this. Grit. Not grits. <laughs> Grit. That means God has in mind to make you a tough individual. Tough-minded individual. And in the process... <laughs> Sort of like Mr. Purdue, it takes a tough man to make a tender chicken. You'll find that your toughness is actually making you more compassionate. I mentioned that before, but no less tough, mentally tough. That's how God works it out. Surprise! Because someone said, oh, it was a meme, it was in a bookstore. The guy said, all I got to do is have faith and everything goes good. And no, 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 no. You're going to be trained by God. You're being trained now by God through adversity. Through trial after trial after trial after trial after trial to make you tough-minded so that you have a resolute will that says about God and to God and so on, I will not be moved. I will not be moved. And that's what God does, and he does it through these venues, prayer. He does it through reading of the word. If I was to ask you right now, on a daily basis, what time do you pray? I understand pray without ceasing. That's what I try to do. Yes, we understand that. But what time do you read the Word? Because you can't be reading the Word and gardening. All right? So you have to sit down or stand up if you want. That's fine. But you've got to be actually reading the Bible. 
What time do you read the Bible? Well, it changes from day to day. Mm -mm. What time do you read the Bible? Have you ever read it from cover to cover? And I try. Mm -mm. There's no trying. You do it. You don't try to read the Bible. You read the Bible. I don't understand it. That's okay. Keep on reading. And again, and again, we have prayer. We have reading the Bible, and we have fellowship. But it's no good to me. Well, I mean, we're not good to each other. Hey, did you read that news report? Where are we now? Stomach's churning. Blood pressure's going up. You don't think God was wise in what he said in all of the scriptures here? And when we do it God's way, we are a formidable opponent. And I'll tell you why. I'll prove it to you. In communist countries, who's the first thing to get rid of? This book. Here, they wouldn't have much of a problem because not too many people even read it. But in communist countries, the first thing that goes, right here. I get up, I don't know if I told you this. I get up last Sunday, I was thinking about a lot of things just like we all do. And I realized, I said to myself, you have the most powerful book in the world in your hands. And I came to the meeting last week with this in my mind, and I went through it again. And you, all of you, you have the most powerful book in your hands, but if this is where it is all week long so that you can actually go like this and wipe the dust off of it, it's like a gun. What good is a gun if you don't even know where it is? So when the robber comes, you say, can you hold on a second? I gotta go find my gun. Oh, I found the gun. I don't know where the ammunition is. Hold on one minute before you rob us to try to kill us. Well, that ain't gonna happen. We want to build up now because there is a tidal wave coming and we want to have this book in here. You have to pray, you have to read, and you have to have fellowship with people of like precious faith to build each other. Let me give you this one thing. It's very important. I promise I'll finish. Preachers, when they say they're finished, they're not finished. I'm trying to improve. Donald Gray Barnhouse explains this word, docimus, and I'll give you the verse and we'll finish on that, I promise. Docimus was actually a group of people who refused to interfere with the ancient process of minting coins. I'll use gold. Now, we've seen the Western movies, you know, where a guy is given a gold piece. What does he do? Okay, uh, maybe yes, maybe no. There's a lot to be said about that. But gold is very soft. And if it's pure gold, I mean 100% gold, there's no alloys in it at all, it'd be very soft. And you leave your teeth mark in it. If you have a numismatic coin and it's truly 100% gold, don't bite it. Because once you bite it, it's no longer valuable. You have your teeth mark in it. Docimus was the men who would not compromise the value of the coin. This is in ancient times. Now, in Titus chapter 1, here I finish. It says this. Unto the pure, this is verse 15 and 16. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Now, here's the thing. This is what I want you to hear. They profess that they know God. The ubiquitous claim in America is that we know God, but the evidence is certainly lacking. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work reprobate. That Greek word is adokimus. You know A before a word means without. Instead of being documents, the genuine thing, they are adokimus, found wanting in the test. Bite down on the gold coin and... Your tooth flips out because it's metal, tin or something, iron. Your teeth fly out. I'm laughing because I sneezed so hard the other day my bridge went. I was only glad I wasn't here at the pulpit. A documus. Proved and found wanting. That's not where you want to be. At the end of this whole scenario, you want to be documus. You want to be the one who's been found to be true Christian, a true Christian and not a document. You don't have to fear the future, these little songs. 
I don't fear the future because he holds the future. Got the whole world in his hands, all this. Very true. God is truly in control. Now, the storm's not going to let up. It's going to continue. So toughen up because it's not going to be a treaty until Christ comes. And look at it that way. He's coming. We see our signs. Let's pray. Father, we bless you and we praise you and we thank you. As the winds pick up, many people getting sucked into the vortex of the confusion and the chaos and the uh, drama and the consternation and on and on. We have a choice to walk through the storm, being guided by your spirit, being empowered by your spirit, but we must be wise, which is the principal reason that you wrote the Bible. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, with all thy getting, get knowledge. From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise towards salvation. Help us, God, to be wise and not fools. Don't let the devil play our American patriotism into the hands of those who will constantly manipulate us. But rather, let us stand true as Christians, and then we will also be good Americans. Oh God, we just appeal to you today for your help, for your aid today. Cause your people here and those that are watching and listening to be docimus and not adocimus. Cause us to be the real deal, and then we'll have peace. We bless you, we praise you, and we thank you for these things. Praise you, glorify your mighty, majestic, and irresistible name. And today, Father, this day and every day, remind us to love you with all of the heart, all of the soul, all of the mind, and all of our strength. And then to turn to each other. And remember that this second commandment is just like the first. First is the greatest. Second is very similar. To love one another. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor today, Father. In Jesus' mighty name. And can you say with me today, amen? Amen. amen. amen.